We're looking at Jesus actually calling us to build our lives on something that's strong and sturdy and not on what the world has to offer. And how do we deal with the unexpected? Because the unexpected comes. I mean, the one thing that we can expect is that the unexpected will happen. When Meredith and I were dating, um, we were going to go rent a movie at Blockbuster Video right there in Lubbock. We, uh, we were going to pick up a movie, and I had this, back in the early 90s, I had this great full-size Bronco, big old thing, got about six miles to the gallon, and it was a standard, which you actually had to use like two hands to shift it. But we, we pulled up in front of Blockbuster, and, and smoke started coming through the vents. Now, I, know, I don't know a lot about cars. I'm going to be the first person to tell you that. I mean, I know you have to change the blinker fluid every 2,000 miles or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. There's no blinker fluid, those of you that are going, I got it. But I, smoke started coming through. I don't know a lot about cars, but I knew that this was not good. All right. And so I, I, you know, we're dating. I'm trying to impress this now, my now wife of, of 12 years. I'm trying to impress her with my intimate knowledge of cars. I was like, that's smoke. I'm going to go check the engine. Right. Well, I learned something on Miami Vice years ago. I learned that if, yeah, and I learned a lot of things from Miami Vice, by the way. But I learned that if you have smoke coming out of your car, the last thing you want to do is open the hood. Because then like, oxygen rushes in, it'll blow up. So what's the first thing I did? I threw that hood open. And fire just goes, whoosh. And, and it was, it kind of thought we were going to blow up, but really it just kind of did a real big flash and then it went down to like a little candle flicker. But I still knew that fire and cars were not the best mix of life. And so I panicked. And, and Meredith in the car, I'm like, get out, the car's on fire! And it's, in the, it's like, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I'm screaming and I'm running into Blockbuster Video because that will answer all of my problems, right? And so I go racing in there and I go, man, I come up and my car's on fire, my car's on fire! And, uh, and so... I was like, what are we going to do? You know, meanwhile, I'm thinking I probably should be calling 911. But that was, that was not on my train of thought. So I raced and I go, what do we do? And, and this blockbuster worker in his great little blockbuster shirt, his little name tag named Roy, reaches under the, the counter and he pulls out a fire extinguisher. It's like this big. Roy, in a sweet Dukes of Hazard move, puts his hand on the counter and hops over, <laughs> slides to the other side. And he's out the door. And I'm in full sprint behind him. Meanwhile, somebody in the parking lot's calling the fire department. And we got a car fire here. That's not great. It's not huge yet, but you know, maybe it's going to get big. And so Roy comes racing out there. And, and about that time, we hear the sirens from the fire trucks just wailing, right? They come pulling down the street. Roy's out there. He's got this, he rips the pin out of the fire hydrant. The uh, fire trucks are, are, are fire extinguishers. The fire trucks are pulling in, and Roy sprays the car right as they pull up. It's like, and the big smoke everywhere, that white stuff. Fire department pulls up, and these guys jump out in like full battle gear. I mean, they've got helmets and oxygen tanks, you know, and they all come piling out of the truck, and one guy's running for the hose, and we all look over at the car, and the fire's completely out, and Roy's standing there with this little thing like this. Like, I got it, man. And, and, and so I look at the fireman, and I was like, hey, I'm, you know, Roy... I, you know, he got, it. and then I don't know what to do with him. So do you tip him? You know, I'm going, I only got a couple of bucks, man. I know y'all got all dressed up. I don't know how this works. You know, he's like, just sign this form, dude. And I was like, did you get to slide down the pole? He's like, we only have a one story house. I'm like, lame, you know, <clears throat> cause that's the best part of being a fireman. Well, I mean, I'm not a fireman. It seems like it would be sliding down the pole. But life deals with these unexpected things, right? How do we respond? Um, what is the foundation that our lives are built upon? Actually, um, it actually informs how we, how we live. And Jesus this morning in our text is really teaching about life. He's teaching about what we build our lives upon. 
And as we remember, the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is actually a teaching to people that are instructed to follow Jesus. It's not this giant sermon for the whole world. It's saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is what life looks like. And so we're examining this as Christ followers. And Jesus' instruction this morning is that. This is what a life that follows me really looks like. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bible, pull it out. If not, we've got Bibles on the corner. Bruce has got some. The deal with our Bibles is this, is that if you don't have a Bible, keep it. If you know someone that needs it, take it. If not, just stick them back on the table and, and uh, we'll use them next week. But those are there for, for you to use. Book of Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Before we get there, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, we thank you for our guests this morning, for those men and women that, that have never been here before. We thank you for blessing us with them. We thank you for our friends from First Pres Perry. Lord, we thank you for allowing them to drive in. We ask that you would bless them and keep them safe as they drive out. And Lord, we just thank you that you've given us the opportunity to gather together. Men and women from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from um, all places. In one place, opening the word of God together and listening to the very voice of God. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would begin to move in us. Take just a second right here in your own life and just pray. Just say, God, I want you to move in me this morning. God, stir something inside of me this morning. Just in your own heart, kind of pray that. God, I want you to move in me. I want you to stir something inside of me. And pray for that person in front of you or behind you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Maybe you've never even seen them before. Just pray for them. Just say, God, I, I want you to do something in their life. I want you to meet this person where they are. And Father God, we are so blessed to be in your presence. Make your word come alive to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Book of Matthew, chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Let's see if I can find it. Starting in verse 24. This is the tail end of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, almost what Jesus kind of, kind of wraps up with. And, and actually, this analogy and the two before it are really coupled as this, this is a call to life. And last week we talked about Jesus as, as the gate. Remember in the narrow road and how Jesus is the entry point into life? It's really a call to action. Well, really today's text is, is very similar. And we have to kind of approach it in that same vein, that it's a call to life. So this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail, because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, most of us are really familiar with this text. I mean, we've, we've kind of grown up with the, the metaphor, the analogy of a wise and foolish builder and shifting sands, and you know to build on the, the rock, the foundation, so that your house or your life will stand. But before we really get to the analogy, we have to deal with what I think is in verse 24. 
And what's in verse 24, really, if we don't understand it, it, it makes this, this story, this piece of uh, wise and foolish builders, it almost makes it not work. But pay attention to what Jesus says in verse 24. This is what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. If we're going to understand this metaphor, this story, this analogy, we have to understand the setup. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine, the first thing that we've got to unpack there is whose words are these? Now you're saying, now Trev, these are Jesus' words. We've been studying since July the Sermon on the Mount. We know that Jesus is teaching. Right, they are Jesus' words. But what we don't understand is the authority in which that statement implies. See, because teachers of the law, historic teachers of the law, pointed people to the prophets. To live and to hear the word of the prophets. And the prophets pointed people to hear and live according to the word of God. That was their role. So the teachers pointed people to the prophets, the prophets pointed people to the word of the Lord. But Jesus is pointing people to his own words. He's pointing people to hear these words of mine, to live according to these words of mine. What we miss is the authority that's packed into that one statement. Because if we read earlier on in the book of of Matthew, the third chapters that are before this, we understand that Jesus says some really powerful things about himself. In fact, just a few short verses earlier, he says, I am God's son. He is my father. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus implied that he was the entry point into eternal life. These are not the words of a rabbi, just a teacher, someone that's pointing to the prophets, pointing to the Lord. He's saying, my words have the very authority of God. In other words, these aren't words to just listen to. These are words that we live by. Now, in order to really understand the importance of that, we have to to get the time frame in which Jesus was speaking. I mean, to claim that his words had the same power as the, the word of God was crazy. And those of us that think that Jesus is just some kind of great moral teacher, we need to pay attention to what he's saying. Because a moral teacher doesn't say, I'm the son of God. A great moral teacher doesn't say, I'm the entry point to eternal life. I mean, these are powerful words. So he says, these words of mine, those who hear. The second part of that we've got to pay attention to is that word hear. Those who hear these words of mine. What do we do with that word? I mean, we would hear the words of Jesus, right? But I think it's really actually a lot easier said than done. And it's easier said than done for a couple of reasons. One, because we live in a world with a lot of noise. We have a lot of things in our life that are competing. And not just sound-wise, but they're competing for our hearts and our lives. Our work lives, the things going on with our families, the issues, the financial strains. There are a lot of things competing with our hearts competing with our minds. And it's very difficult to hear the voice of God with all these competing structures. Do we have scenarios and things in our life that drowned out the very voice of God? And it becomes very difficult to hear in the midst of that. In John chapter 10, which we looked at last week, where Jesus says, I am the gate. In that same chapter, he also says, I am the shepherd. And I call my sheep by name, and they follow me because they know my voice. They won't follow a stranger. Jesus is saying that followers of his know his voice so intimately that when he calls them, they hear. 
And the question that begs for you and I is, is do we know the voice of God so intimately that we can hear him amidst all the noise in our lives? That we spend time enough with the Lord that we understand his call and his voice. See, for a lot of us, I think this is where our problem with following Jesus begins. We've got a lot of things that are drowning out the very voice of God. We've got a lot of things that are competing for our time and our heart and our lives. And God's voice just becomes one among many things. And it's the easiest to shuffle away. It's the easiest to shuffle away. So whoever hears these words of mine, man, it's hard to hear because there's so much noise. The other reason it's hard to hear is, is, is because we can hear and not listen. Right? I mean, anybody that's been married long enough knows this, right? You can hear and not really listen. I mean, hearing, I can hear you uttering words. But listening implies understanding, intentionality, processing. Interesting little Greek, kind of Greek lesson is that, that that word to hear in the Greek when followed by a noun in the genitive case. And there's, this is, I know this is really boring, but there's five Greek cases for nouns and participles and adjectives. And when followed by a noun in the genitive case, it implies perception. So when to hear is followed by a noun in that case, it means I actually hear the sound. Like a tree falls and I hear the sound. A bomb blows up, I hear the, the explosion. You speak, I hear your words. I actually catch the sound. But when that Greek word is followed by a noun in the accusative case, it implies understanding. In other words, I hear and I'm comprehending. And the words that Jesus is using when he says, these words of mind, these words is in the accusative case. So those who hear these words means hear and understand these words. Jesus is implying those that hear and comprehend and listen. I mean, because let's be honest, we can hear and not listen. We have to have a hearing with understanding. But see, most of us don't really want to go down that road. So we show up in church and we read our Bibles and we let the very word of God go in one side and out the other without ever asking questions of God, what does this mean? How does this change me? How does this affect me? How do I leave here different? Because if we just hear without understanding, without listening, without processing, it costs us nothing. We can routinely show up in the place of all of our church life and just hear. But, Jesus says, those who hear with understanding these words of mine becomes intentional, becomes sitting here saying, God, what are you showing me? It's why we pray every morning that we meet here on Sunday mornings, God, open my heart. I don't have us pray that so that you could just randomly hear something. I have you pray that so that we would say, God, that I might hear and understand. So whoever hears these words of mine, and then the last part is, and puts them into practice. Now notice this. This part of this verse is actually a call to action. Because hearing requires a lifestyle. It requires a movement. It requires action. This whole story, parable, metaphor, is built on that phrase and puts them into practice. Following Jesus requires action. It requires movement. It doesn't require head nodding saying, man, great, good teaching. That requires us saying, I'm compelled to be different. 
I was preaching a while back, a couple of, actually a couple of months ago, and this, this sweet woman came up after worship up, up the hill, and she said, that was such an incredible sermon. And I don't hear that very often up there. Usually I hear, man, that was so loud, right? And I said, uh, I go, I, I go, really? Uh, thank you so much, but, but why? She goes, man, I just needed to hear that. And I said, true, but you know what you really need? She goes, what? And I said, you really need to hear it and listen to it so deeply that it penetrates your heart and you walk away changed. And she kind of smiled in a really awkward way and walked off. And the reality is, is that nobody wants to hear that. Nobody actually wants to hear someone tell us that it's time to change our lives. But that's what it means to hear with understanding, to have it so penetrate us that it changes the very way that I live, that I can't walk out of these doors the same because I heard the word of the Lord. That's what this metaphor, this story is about. We can't just read it and say, oh, I'll build my house on a foundation. No, the foundation is hearing with understanding the authoritative words of God and putting them into a lifestyle of practice. See, it changes everything. It's no longer just a fun little story about building. It actually is a call to life. So what happens? So the metaphor begins to, or the story begins to unpack this way. So whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, right? The rains come, the, storm, or the streams rise, the winds blow, the beat against the house, but it stands. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains come, the streams rise, the winds blow, and what happens? It comes down with a great crash. You know, this, this parable really works for a couple of main reasons. It works because Jesus was a craftsman. Now, a lot of us forget this, that we look at Jesus' life from year 30 to 33, and we see his active ministry time with literally doing ministry around the, the countryside. But we forget that Jesus probably spent 25 years of his life as the apprentice to a carpenter, his dad Joseph. I mean, Louis Giglio actually talks about it this way. He says, can you imagine the God of the universe that made the cosmos and formed the earth and, and took the dirt and made Adam and formed you in your mother's womb, as Psalm 139 says? Can you imagine that God making a chair? I want to sit in that chair, right? I mean, imagine that chair. I mean, Jesus was a craftsman. He was a carpenter. He understood building. This is not coming from the desk of, of a rabbi that didn't work with materials or have his hands in wood. This is Jesus who spent a huge portion of his life working, building. The second reason it really works is because everyone would get it. Because geographically it made sense. In the dry season in ancient Palestine, and even now, in the dry season, the ground became really hard. It didn't get rain. It became very tempting just to build your house or your structure on that ground. It was hard. It seemed like it would work. Or in these dry gullies that ran through town, they looked like great places to put your home. But what everybody knew or should know is that eventually the rains would come. And those rains would wash away that layer of sand and along with it the house. Or those, those, those uh, rains would fill these gullies. And those storms would rise and eventually those houses would collapse. See, it works for those reasons. 
It's not just an arbitrary example. It's an example from everyday life. But you know what is really fascinating to me about this parable? Is that whether you're wise and you built on the rock or whether you are foolish and you built on the sand, what happens? The rains come. No matter what, the rains come, the streams rise, the wind shows up. It's inevitable. See, this is where the picture of life is, that no matter where we go, on some level, calm goes to chaos. And whether or not you're standing in the middle of a driving rainstorm right now in your life or not, it will come. That is inevitable. The unexpected will happen. It's the one thing we can expect, right? Whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, those rains come. And and it's sad because I think we've been sold a lie that tells us that if we just follow Jesus, if we just trust in Him, then somehow everything's going to be perfect and happy. And when it's not, it's because I'm not trusting enough. The reality is, is that everything won't always be perfect. That is never the promise of Scripture. Jesus never promises to prevent our pain. The promise is that He prevails in it. So whether wise or foolish, the rains come. And some of you here this morning may be standing in the middle of a driving rainstorm in your own life. Marriage is falling apart. Finances are issues. Your kids are struggling. You're laid off. Whatever that may be. The rains are coming and you may feel like those streams are rising. Those winds are beating against you. They'll be there. So what happens when they come? Well, the, the, the parable tells us that if we built our house on the rock, then that house stands. If we build it on the sand, it won't. In order to build on the rock, you actually have to dig away, scrape out all that sand and build on the bedrock. Here is the misunderstanding of this parable. The misunderstanding is that somehow if we take these Jesus moralistic ideals, these Christian ideals, and we put them in our lives, that when things go bad, we will be okay. That if we just kind of morally adapt to the teaching and we have these sort of underlying Judeo-Christian principles in our life, that will be our foundation. That our family is built on good, solid, church-going Christian people. Our foundation. You know what? This parable doesn't say that at all. What does it say? It says, those who hear with understanding these words of mine and do what? Put them into practice. This is not a parable about moral living. It's not even a parable about having a good, solid foundation of biblical principles to build on. It is a parable about living. It is a parable about saying, Jesus, I hear your call in my life, and it has so changed me that my life is differently, that I live differently, that I'm putting into practice what you're saying. It's like the disciples walking off that mountain saying, everything changes from right here on. Everything. I'm going to live what I actually heard you say. And what we've been unpacking for six and a half or seven weeks now, we begin to live. The foundation is one of life, of living, not of principle. The foundation is about saying, I believe in God. That's the foundation of my life. Great. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you hear these words and you understand them and you live them. 
then what happens? When the storms come, and guess what? They will. Calm goes to chaos in a matter of moments in our lives. Your life and house will stand. Why? Because you are following me. The house doesn't stand because they were built on great traditions. The house stands because the person is following Jesus. And perspective changes everything. You remember last week we talked about following Jesus, entering through the gate and walking the narrow road? And how difficult that road can be. But if you ask people that are actually walking it, following Jesus, they don't see the road that way. I don't see the road as narrow and difficult and a struggle. I see the road as the greatest joy-filled walk of my life. I wouldn't trade where I was walking for anything. See, the storms come and we stand because we're following Jesus. It's actually a call to life. And the question really becomes for you and I is, is when we hear this voice of Jesus, this call, the word of God, how do we change? It means today, how do we begin to live differently? It means this is not a call for tomorrow. Tomorrow, man, I'm going to start bringing my kids to church and we're going to try and maybe start... No, it means today I'm going to work on my marriage. Today we're going to begin to live differently. Today I'm going to deal with that sin, that struggle. I'm going to walk off this mountainside a changed person because I'm following Jesus. It's actually a call for today. But we don't want to hear that all the time. We want to just know that if we build our lives on some good principles we're going to be all right. I, don't, I can't promise that. But what I can promise is this, that if we follow Jesus, if we walk in his footsteps, it changes everything. Perspective, life. And his promise is that that house, that life, will endure. It will stand. So the question we deal with is this, how does this change us? How do we begin to live differently outside these doors today? How do we go from here? Transformed, counterculturally driven men and women that say, I follow Jesus. I'm going to invite Don and the band to come back up as we kind of close our time in worship.